Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It is Pastor Paul here at the home office. It is Wednesday morning, April 27th. Can you believe this spring is flying by? Well, if this is your first time to join us, we take 10 or 15 minutes every weekday morning to do something called Romans Rewind. So we've been preaching through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks. Um, there's so much rich, deep material there in Romans. We don't have time to to dive into every detail on a Sunday morning. So we kind of follow behind here and sort of pick up the theological scraps is not the right word, but you get what I'm saying. The theological leftovers to sort of explore further. And we are, of course, in Romans chapter nine. And, and the context here is that Paul is brokenhearted over the fact that his kinsmen, um, his Jewish brothers and sisters who where God's chosen old covenant people have seemingly fallen away and have um, hardened their hearts against their own Messiah, Jesus. And Paul's trying to answer the objection, has the word of God failed? And of course, Paul's answer is going to be no. Then he's, then he's kind of explaining to us why. But one of the things that, that we talked about on Sunday was this idea that we need to be um, reading the Old Testament not moralistically, but Christocentrically, meaning while there are, of course, moral lessons, examples, leadership issues, character studies that we want to do in the Old Testament and to learn from the mistakes and failures of the people of God, we want to also do much more than that. We want to see Christ in the middle of the Old Testament, how everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And what I want to do this morning is spend a few minutes putting a little sharper edge to that and talking about more specifically where we see Christ in the Old Testament and then the relevance that has for us as believers. So Romans chapter 9, Paul's talking there in verse 4. Let's look there, Romans 9, verse 4, about the Israelites. He says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. In other words, Jesus is over everything that was happening in the Old Testament. It was leading to him. It was a fulfillment in him. And we don't read the Old Testament correctly unless we read it in light now of what we know as God's new covenant people that Jesus has come. So, so how do we do this? Well, one way to think about it, and this is um, this is a a framework that the church has used for hundreds of years, not thou if not thousands of years, to think about the threefold office of Christ. Okay, and that means we think about Christ as prophet, Christ as priest, and Christ as king. Prophet, priest, and king. And when we look to the Old Testament we see that there are indeed three primary um, offices, if we want to call them that, three primary leadership positions that God fills to help lead his people. And so um, we see that obviously with the prophets. So God would send prophets, and their job was to represent God to the people. In other words, thus saith the Lord. God also sent priests. And these were people who interceded on God for to God on the people's behalf. So they represented the people to God. And then, of course, there are kings who came to rule 
on behalf of God to his people, right? So prophet, priest, and king, they all had related roles, but they were all distinct. That's why they weren't, they were not to have um, any, no one person was, was to have any of these roles simultaneously, right? That would have been too much power in one person. But what we see over and over, obviously, in the Old Testament is that whoever the prophets were, whoever the priests were, whoever the kings were, no matter how faithful, how noble, how moral, how good, they always failed in some spectacular way. They always fell short of fulfilling their God-given mission. Um, even Moses, right, was not, um, was not allowed to enter the promised land because of his disobedience. But I want, to li- want you to listen to how Moses points to Jesus. Look at, look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God, this is Moses speaking, will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Oreb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. All right, so what we have there is is Moses pointing people to this idea that someone, a prophet, is going to come after Jesus. Um, I'm sorry, a prophet is going to come after Moses, who is greater than Moses, who will be more faithful than Moses, who people will look to um, and be able to trust completely. Because as, as, as much as Moses was the greatest prophet or one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, he certainly was far from perfect. In fact, he, he failed often. All right, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 33. We're doing a little Bible drill this morning. You're going to find out if your pastor can, can find Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And of course, I can. All right, so Jeremiah 33. Now, Jeremiah here in the context of the new covenant, is speaking about what is to come for God's people. Look at verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 17 of chapter 33. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Okay, so God says, David, um, there, there, he's never going to lack someone to sit on his throne. Well, we have to remember David, again, spectacularly failed. And so while he was faithful, he, he was far from the perfect king. Um, and, and, and in a way was just a pointer to um, the fact that there was going to be an eternal kingdom, an eternal king, which wasn't going to be David. It was going to be someone, though, who sat on David's throne, who would execute justice and righteousness. By the same token, um, there was going to be a priest, right, who came and who was able to perfectly fulfill the sacrificial offerings on behalf of the people of God. So the first high priest, of course, was Aaron. And you read Exodus and you realize Aaron was not always faithful. In fact, he was pretty complicit in the golden calf scenario. He, his son, two of his sons were swallowed up by the earth or consumed because uh, um, they 
authored unauthorized offered unauthorized fire you know um Aaron had not seemingly trained them in the way that he should have and 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 we see the temporary nature of these people by the fact they die right priests die prophets die kings die but again there's a there's a promise here Moses says there's gonna be a prophet that's greater than me that comes after me Jeremiah says there's coming a king there's coming a priest right who um, is going to to reign on God's throne forever, who's going to be perfectly able to fulfill um, the sacrifices on behalf of his people. And what was a mystery at the time, but is now known, is that all three of these offices were to be bound up in one person, and that is in Jesus Christ, who was the perfect prophet, speaking to us on behalf of God, perfect priest representing us to God, offering sacrifices on our behalf with his own blood, and then ruling us with his word and his authority in that kingly fashion. Now, why do we as Christians accept the claims of Jesus on this matter or the New Testament writers? All right, so flip over to Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching, and listen to what Peter says, or why Peter says that the apostles, the early church, we're banking all their hopes, staking all their claims on Jesus, right? Um, look at verse 29 of chapter 2. Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter's very clear here. He's talking about the coming king and prophet. He he. He says, this is Jesus, and the reason we can testify to this is because of the what? The resurrection of the dead, right? If Jesus had died, no matter what he claimed, no matter how well he spoke, no matter what a great teacher he was, it took the resurrection to validate his claims, to validate our justification, to validate his work on, on our behalf. Now, what does this mean for us to think about Jesus as prophet, priest, and king for us. Well, we we want to meditate. Anytime we read the old, anytime we read the older New Testament, we want to remember that Christ came as the incarnate Word of God. Okay, so remember, um, the prophet represents God on our um, behalf, shows us what God is like. Well, Jesus came; He was God, right? He didn't just tell us what who God was; He showed us who God was. He taught as God. He spoke as God. He is God. And, and so we, we meditate upon him as prophet. When we think about him as priest, remember the priest represents the people to God. The prophet is God to the people. The priest is people to God. Well, Jesus intercedes on our behalf. We've been learning this in Romans 8, haven't we? He sits at the right hand of the Father. He offers up his blood for us. He pleads and intercedes for us. He is our perfect priest. And then the king, right? So the king um, rules the people on God's behalf. Well, Jesus is our king. 
And with any king, we look to his words to know how we are to follow him, how we are to honor him, how we are to glorify him. And so I think when you carry this um, idea of the threefold office of Christ, of prophet, priest, and king, and you read the Old Testament through that, you read the New Testament through that, um, God will open up vistas and windows into who he is and into your own heart. And I in, encourage you to think about these things. Okay, that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you indeed are prophet, priest, and king. The perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. No one has come before you or will come after you. Lord, you are the first and the last. And Lord, we want to honor you in our hearts and minds and our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.